Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for leaders in education brought to you by Central Michigan University, a leader in educational choice and quality. My name is Orlando Castellan, and I'm joined by my colleague, Janelle Brzezinski, stationed in Lansing. How are you doing, Janelle? Good morning, Orlando. Great to be here. Uh, great to be here as well. And so we are excited for our uh, next podcast and for the conversation that we have upcoming. Uh, Janelle, you want to tell them where they can find the podcast? Yep, our um, Charter Central podcast is always available on our website, which is the centerforcharters.org. Um, you can find the podcast and all of our resources there. Um, you also can listen and subscribe to our podcast on any podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast. So make sure and subscribe so you don't miss an episode of that as well. Wow, we're getting fancy. Good job, Janelle. Way to keep us out there. Um, as I mentioned, we're talking to Ryan Fewens Bliss, who's the executive director of MCAN, the Michigan College Access Network. Uh, Janelle, you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, we really thought um, here we're moving um, into November in the holiday season, certainly a very timely topic to talk about college access. Um, we just wrapped up Michigan College Month in October. Um, certainly high school students all over the state are moving through that process as they determine the next steps and Post, hopefully post-secondary and educational careers. So um, really thought this would be timely. Uh, we also thought it was a really good connection to make. Um, if you look at the mission and the work of the Michigan College Access Network, also known as MCAN, um, really mirrors a lot um, of our, our mission and beliefs here in the charter movement of certainly um, educational equity, of ensuring that everyone has an equal access to opportunity as far as their education goes really mirrors a lot of their work mirrors our beliefs here um, with charter schools and the work that, that everyone does every day, um, the important work in those schools. So, um, and certainly from an authorizer standpoint, a lot of um, our focus and the educational goal of preparing students for success in college work and life, we really feel that that college aspect is, is important. So um, it was a great conversation with Ryan, really, really great resources. We encourage everybody to and check out the great things they're doing and, and listen further here to learn a little bit more about the important initiatives they have. Yep, so stick around for an insightful conversation with Ryan Fuens Bliss, the Executive Director of the Michigan College Access Network. Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for education leaders. Welcome back to Charter Central. Uh, this is Orlando Castellan, and we're excited uh, to have our guest, Ryan Fuens Bliss, who is the executive director of the Michigan College Access Network. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Glad to be here. And of course, we're here with Janelle Brzezinski and having a conversation with Ryan about uh, the initiatives at MCAN. Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the main goals of MCAN? Like, what are you try trying to get accomplished? Sure, we're trying to get more people into college and through college. So more high school students uh, to graduate from high school and go right into post-secondary. And that means 
certificates or uh, associate's degrees or bachelor's degrees or beyond. And then once they get to college to stay there and be successful, because we have such awful success rates in Michigan and across the country, once students get there in terms of staying and being successful. So ultimately that's what we're trying to do is increase the post-secondary attainment rate of Michigan residents to 60% by the year 2030. And we particularly focus on students of color, first generation college going students. Those are students whose parents uh, or siblings didn't go to college uh, and low income students uh, specifically. Thank you. And, and I want to circle back on that 60 by 30 goal. But before we go there, um, just want to, you were recently, and I say recently, we'll use that a little bit loosely, named the executive director of MCAN. And I saw uh, on your webpage that you have a letter from the executive director. And uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a small portion of that where it says yeah. that, um, and, and I quote, um, I was transformed by my college experience, which has made this work my calling. When I entered college in the late 90s, I expected to earn a degree in public relations and go right to work for the big three. When I graduated in early 2000s, my worldview had completely changed. So I just want to take that for a minute because I know you and I had an opportunity to meet each other during that time frame uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and we met each other at the Center for Charter, uh, excuse me, at the Volunteer Center um, at Central Michigan University. And so I'm assuming like you that that changed uh, a little bit about who I was and I was hoping you could talk just for a minute about um, the impact that that had on where you are today, the impact of our former boss, Shauna Ross, give her a little shout out, Shauna Ross. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your time at the Volunteer Center and how it shaped kind of uh, the direction of your career. Yeah, that's easy. Uh, Central in general was a real shaper for me. I met our former boss, Shauna Ross, who was the director of the Volunteer Center. I was at a statewide conference down here in Lansing. I was asked as a youth participant to introduce then First Lady Michelle Engler. And when they introduced me to introduce Michelle Engler, uh, they said I was going to be a future Chippewa. So after the session, uh, Shauna Ross came running up to the dais and handed me her card and said, come see me when you get to campus and, you know, let's see how we can work together. And it was great. I was work study eligible. So Shauna hired me as an undergraduate in the volunteer center and it, it changed my life. I got to volunteer all over the world. I got to understand myself better and my peers better and really, really made me understand how college changes folks, which is, I think, what led me down the path to being involved in college access and success. Uh, I feel incredibly lucky that I was able to have that experience, and I want to make sure more people in Michigan are able to have like experiences uh, at other institutions as well. Well, and we know certainly, Ryan, that a lot goes into um, a, a high school student's decision of where they want to go to school. And even just the process and the timeline, the trajectory from, I know we just wrapped up Michigan College Month here in October, um, from the submitting of applications to um, decision day and actually deciding where they're going to go. Can you talk a little bit throughout that process? I know um, MCAN offers a lot of supports, a lot of programming at all the different stages. Can you outline maybe a little bit more about that to give our listeners an understanding of the complexity and the, the depth of the work that you do um, at your organization. Yeah, so we have a really robust high school innovation strategy of which 
College Bound Michigan is an initiative uh, within that department. Uh, and College Bound Michigan itself is an initiative of three smaller initiatives. So we've got Michigan College Month in October where we're encouraging high school seniors to apply to at least one institution, we're hoping more, uh, and to complete the FAFSA, which uh, as you know is now available uh, come October 1. We then move into FAFSA completion season. So we have an initiative called the College Cash Campaign, which is also known as the Governor's FAFSA Challenge since Governor Whitmer has come into office. She's really raised the profile of this effort. So from November 1 to March 1 every year, we're trying to get folks to complete that FAFSA. We know that 90% of the students that complete a FAFSA go directly into post-secondary education after high school, uh, which is what we want them to do. So at, toward the end of the year, the academic year, we have College Decision Day. So at this point, students have applied somewhere, they've completed the FAFSA, hopefully completed some scholarship applications, have been accepted somewhere. Now they get to make their declaration of where they're going. And, and why that matters is just like you and I in the workplace, when we say goals out loud, when we tell other people what our goals are, there's sort of a higher level of accountability that will follow through with those goals. So we push students to declare where they're going so that there's, you know, some healthy peer pressure, some community pressure on them to make sure they do show up on the doors, uh, at the doors of the post-secondary institution that they're going in the fall, because we have such an issue with summer melt, which is students who are accepted and say they're going someplace in May, they don't actually show up on the doorstep of the higher ed in uh, September. So we want to make sure we're helping to decrease the summer melt problem. So those three initiatives make up College Bound Michigan, which we're working with over 300, 350 high schools across the state who have committed to doing some activity during that, those time frames around those specific college going behaviors. Well, and I know as you talk about um, decision day, a lot of high schools have made it a very, you know, celebratory day, a very elaborate events as we've seen in the recent years. What, um, what kind of events did you see this spring amidst a pandemic? Um, were schools able to shift virtually or how did that look this spring? Yeah, lots of shifting virtually, some real creativity. You know, one of the things that I tried to talk a lot about this spring was you could see where there was strong K-12 leadership in the state by how they handled the close down in March. Uh, and you could see really creative school counselors and college advisors across the state move their decision day programming virtual, move their commencement virtual, move their senior night virtual, all of those things that happen at the end of the year that really make for a culminating experience for high school seniors that folks have a lot of uh, nostalgia and emotion wrapped up into. All of that had to move uh, virtual. So we saw some really, really great examples of folks moving things virtual. We also started to offer a COVID response grant for high schools across the state and community organizations and colleges as well, but certainly high schools uh, were one of our main applicants to help them do that, to help them move programming virtual, to help them figure out how to, how to help their students with the SAT since that was canceled. Uh, to help figure out uh, technology and connectivity issues that were happening uh, 
help do summer programming. So we mobilized about $600,000 that we were not expecting to mobilize at the beginning of the fiscal year into the community, much of which went to doing some programming like Decision Day and other virtual events at the end of the academic year. And I know a few of our CMU um, partner schools of our charter schools that received that, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure they're very appreciative of, of your efforts to supply those resources. So. I'm really proud of that effort. We, we involved everyone in my organization from the person who answers the phone up to me as the executive director. Uh, we all sat on pods of three to review these grants that came in. They were just coming in by like the tens every single day. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure we were mobilizing the funding quickly. And so we had to do some rapid response uh, deliberation on whether the grants should be funded or not. So everybody in the organization uh, cleared their, their deck so that they could be able to handle it, which was a really great way for everyone to feel like they were part of the solution to the pandemic. Everyone felt like they were part of helping to solve students' problems and schools' problems. So it was a lot of fun. It was a ton of work, but it was a lot of fun, and I feel really good that we were able to do it. Well, and I know, Ryan, you had mentioned that uh, FAFSA completion, uh, and I know that the teachers, students, and staff at Central Academy in Ann Arbor were excited to win the Governor Whitmer's 2019 FAFSA Challenge, and uh, we, we are uh, appreciative of you guys for creating those opportunities. Something that you said earlier struck me, and I wanted to circle back to it, that 90% of students that complete the FAFSA go on to college. And I got to imagine that that plays a large role in your 60 by 30 goal. And so can you tell us a little bit about uh, where we're at and meeting that 60 by 30 goal and give us a little more statistics and, and maybe even like where are we at today and what is the projected timeline to reach that? Sure. So the, the FAFSA uh, data tells us that 90% of students that complete the FAFSA go into post-secondary right after high school. And that's the key piece because if students don't go right after high school, their likelihood of going at all continues to diminish every year out from high school graduation that they get. So we at MCAN tend to not talk about gap years, or if we do talk about them, we tell students not to take them. Gap years just are not, uh, they're not real unless you're a wealthy student who's going off to backpack through Europe or to volunteer or do an internship. Most people who don't go right into college find some sort of employment. And then once you start getting that steady paycheck, it's really hard to break away from that paycheck to decrease uh, your income to then go to college. So it's a much harder decision for folks to say, uh, I've got to give up this job or I have to decrease my hours and have less money coming in to go to college. Not only less money coming in, but more money going out to pay for the tuition to go to college. So we really encourage folks to get into college as soon as possible, to finish as soon as possible, to take as many credits as soon as possible, because uh, the data shows that as soon as students start doing otherwise, they tend to not finish or where they do what we call swirl, where they just take credits at an institution, but they're never progressing toward a degree. So we don't want that. We want folks to get into college right away. We want them to persist, take a number of credits that keeps them on track and then finish as soon as possible. So when you talk about attainment rate, we are trying to get 60% by 2030. We're at about 45% right now, 45.5%, I think exactly when you take in an estimation for post-secondary certificates. So we've got a ways to go. We're growing, we've grown at about 10% over the last 10 years. So we're headed in the right direction, but not fast enough to meet the 60 by 30 goal. 
we have about just less than 70% of students go into post-secondary once they uh, once they finish high school. So we've got some pipeline issues. We need more students to go right into high school. And then we need a tremendously more number of students to uh, continue to persist to get in those credits again, to stay on track and then to finish. The numbers get really dicey once students get into post-secondary. I sort of describe it, uh, I'm a pasta lover, so I'm constantly using the calendar in my house. So I sort of describe success as like a calendar. We get a bunch of students into college and then we shake the calendar and a bunch of them fall out in that first year. And then the second year, we shake the calendar and a bunch of them fall out the second year. And it just continues to get worse and worse uh, so that few students actually complete on time or at all. And Ryan, um, certainly a lot of our listeners are in the K-12 setting, um, many high schools um, that we have um, within our portfolio of schools. Um, can you talk a little bit too about the professional development or maybe some of the resources from a school staff level um, that you have available through your organization that could help them in um, their process of guiding students towards this pathway to post-secondary education? Yes, all of the data shows that a caring adult in a student's life is what helps them uh, make the decision to go to college. That's not shocking, I'm sure, for your listeners. A caring adult makes a difference in students' lives for a lot of things, right? Whether they decide to start using and abusing drugs and alcohol and all, all those things that we want students to avoid or the things that we want students to do, the caring adults in their life helps them to make those decisions. So it's not surprising that that's the case with college as well. We, we spend a lot of time and a lot of investment in supporting school counselors particularly. I was just in a meeting with President Davies actually about two weeks ago and he said that when uh, the institution, when Central asked students what helped make their decision to go to Central, overwhelmingly it was that a school counselor or a neighbor recommended that and encouraged them to go to Central. So again, we just know the power of adults in the lives of students. So we do a lot of training around school counselors. We have a school counselor course that we put them through uh, free of charge. We have some grant funding to cover that that helps them analyze their efficiency and analyze their approach to the work, especially around the issues of equity and making sure that they're looking at students and, and working with them in an equitable way. Uh, we also then have an advanced course once uh, school counselors have gone through the first course to help them continue to think through their profession and really it's about honing their work as a professional and building a body of work for themselves really elevating the school counselor as a leader in the building rather than the school counselor being the person who does the college advising and the person who does the scheduling and the person who sometimes does the uh, you know, administrative work behind the scenes, really lifting up the school counselor as the leader in the building for this work. Uh, and they shouldn't be doing it alone. The principal and the assistant principals where those exist and teachers should all be involved in that. So we really try to help prepare uh, buildings and districts to elevate the school counselors uh, work. So lots of school counselor training. Uh, we do some other training for folks that deal with students that are not licensed school counselors. So we've got a professional learning community that folks can be 
a part of. We're just starting to do some national work around after-school programming. So there's some other sort of ancillary people that we are trying to help support, college advisors certainly in the buildings. But at the end of the day, we know the gold standard is a trained and passionate school counselor within a, uh, with a ratio that's manageable, uh, you know, sort of a workload, a caseload that's manageable for them. That's what makes the difference. So we're trying to help educate districts and buildings that that's what it takes and then to help elevate the work of the school counselor uh, in those districts and buildings. So Ryan, um, as an authorizer, some of our schools are K-5s or K-8s. And so I'm wondering, you know, what can middle schools and or elementary schools do to help create or support that college going culture? Yeah, a lot of it. Uh, number one is talking about it and sort of setting the expectation that this is the next step, that this is where we're trying to get folks to. Uh, too often, and this is perhaps an antiquated view that isn't so uh, prevalent anymore, but it used to be the gold standard was we want to get kids to graduation, right? That's what K-12 was for, to graduate kids. What they do next is sort of on them. We're seeing more and more schools, and this is, I think, especially true of charter schools that have more flexibility at this level. The expectation and how uh, school leaders are, are uh, evaluated is also on the post-secondary performance of their students. So it's not just about students getting out the door, but it's about them getting in some other door so that they can then be uh, economically independent at some point. Uh, so I think that's really, really important as well. And I know that you do also have some programming that puts um, actual um, recent college graduates in schools too, I believe. Um, can you speak a little bit more about that and their important role of being that near peer relationship um, as far as the advising goes? Yeah, we're really proud to host the Advise Michigan program. Also proud that Central Michigan University is one of our partners in that effort. They're our largest investor in that program, in fact. So we place 56 trained college advisors near peer, meaning they just have graduated college in the last three years, into high schools across the state to do college advising. So these are not school counselors, they're not licensed school counselors, they're not doing social emotional, they're not doing any of the other work that school counselors do, they're only doing college advising. So they help uh, students during that senior year to figure out where they want to apply and to complete those applications and then how to fill out the FAFSA and where they can go for scholarships. And then again, around that decision day time, making the decision on where to go. Uh, it's been a really successful program. We launched this in 2015 based on the National College Advising Core model. Uh, Michigan has two other cores. We're actually very unique in the country to have two college advising cores, one at the University of Michigan and one at Michigan State University. But it was very clear that there were more schools that needed help, that, were, that needed this intervention. And, uh, U of M and University of, or excuse me, U of M and MSU were not able to scale up quick enough to serve the need that's in the state. And so we launched the program in 2015. So between University of Michigan, Michigan State University and Advise Michigan, we have just over 100 school, uh, excuse me, 100 college advisors in buildings all across the state. And not only that program, but really all of these great initiatives you're talking about, Ryan, where can people go to learn a little bit more um, at the school level of how they could get involved and tap into some of these resources? 
Yeah, check out our website. It's www.micollegeaccess.org. You'll find opportunities for training, our conference information when we're back in person will be there. Grant funding is available for schools all the time in Michigan. Uh, so lots of opportunities for that there. Uh, updates and if you're job seeking, there's job opportunities there. Uh, once you're at our website, you can sign up for our bi-weekly e-news, which is a popular uh, e-newsletter that we do that sends out uh, information on these opportunities too. When we launch new grants or new opportunities, it's in the e-news. So once you're at the website, I'd encourage folks to, to sign on for that e-news. And Ryan, um, that those opportunities to get involved are both uh, statewide and um, I, I saw something related to a local college access network as well. Yeah, so there's opportunities both at the local level and the statewide level, and I would argue then at the building or district level as well. Uh, so different grants, different opportunities to build infrastructure, again, at the building level, at the local level, at the regional level sometimes. We really try not to have a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, if you can think about what students and professionals in downtown Detroit need versus students and professionals in downtown Escanaba. There are certainly some similarities, but there's also some major differences. So we try to offer a nice smorgasbord, if you will, of opportunities that folks can pick and choose what makes uh, the most sense for them and their students. So you'll see things that are more appropriate to rural students, more appropriate to urban students, things that sort of bridge the divide in between. So um, we will give that uh, website plug again here before, before we part ways with our listeners, but I'm going to switch gears on you real quick uh, because we also noted that as MCAN was celebrating their 10-year uh, tw anniversary, we were also celebrating our 25-year anniversary. And so that did raise some questions from Janelle and I of how would they celebrate a 10-year anniversary because we struggled thinking about ways to uh, celebrate during a pandemic. So wondering if you could share some insight on that 10-year anniversary with us. Yeah, we chose the language to say 10 uh, 10th birthday rather than anniversary because we wanted it to feel a little bit more celebratory in that way. Uh, you know, I'm sure like you, we had lots of big things planned. We had a gala uh, dinner planned. We had uh, an unveiling of our new brand at our 10th uh, annual conference. All of that had to be changed. Uh, luckily, we had done some planning for the 10th birthday for a while, so we were ready to pivot. So while we weren't able to have our conference this past year, we did uh, launch a new brand. So if you're familiar at all uh, with our new colors, they're different colors of blue, and we've got a new logo and new language around equity. It really was a wholesale change from the past decade, uh, from look and tone and feel for who we want to be moving forward into the next decade. So that was really exciting. Uh, we had to make sure we were launching that appropriately. We didn't want to seem tone deaf in the middle of a pandemic to say, you know, people are getting sick and, and unfortunately dying, but hey, come look at our new colors. So we tried to roll these things out in an appropriate way to still have some excitement and, and build some uh, build some energy around the work, even while folks were really working hard uh, to keep people healthy and safe. 
one of the more tangible things we did for our 10th birthday was we gave away 10 grants in 10 days to celebrate that 10th birthday. We called them the 10-10-10 grants. So we have been virtual at our office since March, except for this one exception. Uh, for two weeks in uh, late August, early September, I traveled around the state with giant Ed McMahon style checks and presented them to 10 different organizations for the great work that they had been doing. Uh, somewhat a surprise. Again, if we weren't in the pandemic, we could have dropped in on people uh, unannounced much easier, <laughs> uh, but people were not welcoming people to be uh, dropping in on them unannounced during that time of the year. So instead, uh, we made some plans and I met some people at parks. So we were outside. I met other people at different places on campuses. It turned out to be a really fun thing. Uh, and then we tried to make a big deal of the work that they were doing. You know, we're a, a network. We're an intermediary organization. We don't work with any students. We don't work with any families. That's not our role. So to celebrate our 10th birthday, it seemed like the way to do that was to elevate the work of the network, to celebrate the things that, uh, you know, folks like your schools were doing and the innovations that they were making. And so that's where the 10, 10, 10 grants were sort of born. How do we celebrate and lift up the work of the folks in the network? Well, and Ryan, you talked a little bit earlier about the importance of a caring adult um, and those role models that, that serve us so well um, in the K-12 environment. Um, we always like to ask all of our guests to share with us about a teacher that has impacted their life as we're education-focused podcasts. Can you share a little bit about somebody who really made a difference in your, your life and even possibly your trajectory in your profession? Yeah, I'll tell you about Charlotte Heidel, who recently passed away. I'm a graduate of Gaylord High School up north, very proud Blue Devil. Uh, when I was in 10th grade, she pulled me aside after class and she said, Ryan, who was your ninth grade English teacher? And I told her and I said, it, you know, something wrong? Did I do something wrong? And she said, no, I wanted to understand if your level of writing was always this good or if this had something been, you know, that had changed recently. So I wanted to talk to your ninth grade teacher to, to see some of your old writing. I think you're a really good writer. And it was the first time that anybody who had sort of said that out loud to me directly, it really helped me make a decision once I went to Central Michigan University and I was a integrative public relations major. And part of that was because my 10th grade teacher, Mrs. Heidel had said I was a good writer. And when I came to orientation, they said, if you wanna write, if you're a good writer and you wanna be a writer professionally, this IPR major might be the thing for you. And so I made those connections right away that my 10th grade teacher had said, had pulled me aside, totally unnecessary uh, for her to do above and beyond to make sure she knew or that I knew uh, that I had some talent in writing. And it seems like such a simple thing as a kid, but again, those caring adults, just as an adult, making sure you tell kids, you're good at this, you have a talent here. Uh, you know, I tried to do it with my own son uh, last week. We're doing virtual education at home and it's, uh, it is real tough. <laughs> and he was really struggling with math. And I just, I tried to use that Mrs. Heidel strategy to say, you're really good at math. You should continue to do this. This should be really great for you. Keep up the good work and hopefully using what was, uh, that what worked on me with my own kids. <laughs> Well, I think we're all pulling from those lessons that we learned as kids right now, Ryan. So uh, uh, as, as a father as well, I can appreciate that and uh, um, really appreciate you taking some time to spend with us today. 
Uh, we want to thank Ryan Fewens Bliss, the executive director of Michigan College Access Network, otherwise known as MCAN, uh, that's helping our um, students in the state of Michigan progress on to secondary ed. And so you can find the great work that they're doing at micollegeaccess.org um, or reach out to uh, the team at MCAN. So thank you again, Ryan. We appreciate your time and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you next time you're on campus. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ryan. Well, thanks everybody for listening today. Certainly a wonderful conversation we had with Ryan, um, really just profound, the, the amount of work and resources and initiatives they have going on over at the Michigan College Access Network um, and the great connections that they are making with the schools in our state to, to help them um, on their journey of ensuring their students are, are matriculating to post-secondary um, education. So one thing we wanted to mention as we wrap up this episode on college access is certainly um, Central Michigan University and um, that we're happy to be a part of the CMU family. Um, they have um, for the month of November um, a fee waiver for their application fee for any student that's interested in applying. So we just wanted to, to make that quick mention um, as high school seniors are moving through that decision process um, that take advantage for this month of November to be able to have that application fee waived. Well, thank you, Janelle. And just want to remind our listeners that Charter Central will have one last episode before the holiday break, before the new year. And so stay tuned for uh, one last episode before the new year. And we will look forward to uh, having an opportunity to engage with you again before then. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>